Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling AEW Dynamite Reviews. We've been off for the last few weeks. It was the holidays, and then I got COVID, like half the planet. So I was producing a little bit too much mucus to do this show. I was producing enough mucus to power a small village, assuming that you can, in fact, generate energy from mucus, which, I, I mean, maybe someone might be working on that. Anyway, let's get into this show. AEW Dynamite, January 12th, 2022, from the PNC Arena in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's where the Hurricanes play. And we kick things off with a segment involving the members of the elite. So Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, they come out and they allude to this being a, a new era. Perhaps a the, the kind of era that you can't argue against. It might be... Oh, what's the word I want to use? Indisputable? I don't know. Something something along those lines. So they come out and very much reminded everyone that they were the Undisputed Era in NXT without using that name. So they're out there. Then the Young Bucks come out. The Young Bucks had been off because they, much like me, had got COVID. Uh, also much like me, they got over it fairly fast. And so the Young Bucks come out they apologize for having gotten involved in the Fish O'Reilly and Adam Cole's match against the best friends. And so this whole dynamic is really interesting. And we had actually talked about how this was going to happen when it seemed very obvious that Kyle O'Reilly was going to end up in AEW. Because you've got Adam Cole, Cole, Fish, and O'Reilly obviously have this history together. They were the top faction during the, the glory years of NXT, which which eventually we will refer to those years as. Like as NXT morphs into whatever the heck it, that it is now or continues to evolve in that way. We'll get like 10 years down the line, you'll, and we'll be like, remember those years where NXT was really good? The takeover years. The takeover years when you had Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era and Johnny Gargano and Tomasa Ciampa. I mean, history will look kindly upon that era. So Adam Cole is trying to broker peace between these two tag teams. Because as we've mentioned, Fish and O'Reilly have history with Adam Cole, but Adam Cole also has history with the Young Bucks. With the Young Bucks, he was the super click. They were in the Bullet Club together and Ring of Honor, a little bit in New Japan. Cole wasn't really in New Japan too much, but he was there for a bit, you know. And so there's this tension between the Young Bucks and Red Dragon, but Cole is trying to keep everybody together. So Fish and O'Reilly, or sorry, the Young Bucks say that their New Year's resolution is to get their tag team titles back. But Fish and O'Reilly say, hey, that's their New Year's resolution too, is they want to win the tag titles in AEW. And they don't care if they have to, what team they have to go through, even the Young Bucks. But of course, Cole, he wants to broker the peace, and he's like, well, hey, this is what makes us the best faction in the world. You know, some friendly competition. And, and so it's sort of teased that in the not-too-distant future, we're going to get a match between Red Dragon and the Young Bucks. Now, if you weren't following Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling during the period where both those teams were there, these guys have had a lot of matches against each other 
And a lot of those matches have been very, very good. So maybe they will have one of those very, very good matches in AEW. It certainly seems like we're going to get that sooner rather than later. And that will just further this storyline of who's aligned with who, because one team's going to win that match. Another team's going to lose that match. The losing team's going to be bitter towards the winning team. And so that sort of tension is going to continue to grow between those two teams. We also have to ask ourselves, what happens when Kenny Omega comes back into this mix here? The last time we saw Kenny Omega, he was backstage with the Young Bucks and Adam Cole. And he, and there, were, there was sort of this tease that maybe Cole and Omega don't get along all that well. Because Omega said, all right, I'm really relying on you guys to to hold the fort down while I'm away. And then Cole speaks up and is like, yeah, don't worry about it. And Omega pipes in and says, uh, actually, Adam, I was talking to the Young Bucks. I wasn't so much talking to you. So, so we've gotten these teases that Omega and Cole don't get along too well. Hmm. So it's interesting. Could we end up with like a, like a trios rivalry where you've got the old undisputed era, Cole Fish and O'Reilly going up against Omega and the Young Bucks? But then for that to happen, Adam Cole has to turn on the Young Bucks and fully align with Fish and O'Reilly. So we'll just have to see what goes on. But we did get another member added to this faction, or at least officially added to this faction. They had on... Um, okay, so the best friends come out. All of the best friends come out. There's this big brawl between the elite and the best friends. And of course, even though Red Dragon and the Young Bucks are not seeing eye to eye, they are united in their rivalry against the best friends. But then Chris Statlander gets involved. And Chris Statlander's in the ring. She's getting in Adam Cole's way. But who should come out to handle Chris Statlander? But Adam Cole's real-life fiancé? I don't know if they're engaged or... Well, anyway, his real-life partner... Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, she comes in, takes out Chris Statlander. Later, it would be announced that we're going to get a mixed tag team match next week on Dynamite with Adam Cole teaming with Britt Baker going up against Chris Statlander and I think Orange Cassidy. So now, and then later in the show, Baker would appear with members of the Elite and Fish and O'Reilly, if they're in the Elite, in a backstage promo. And so now she's kind of officially part of this group too. And I love that. That's fantastic. Because she fits the vibe of this group so much. You know, the elite. Well, she's the champion of AEW's women's division. She's the face of AEW's women's division. And she's got that same sort of egotistical attitude that Adam Cole has, that the Young Bucks have. So she works in this group. But then you would have to imagine that whatever split takes place, if a split does take place, I wouldn't put it above the Young Bucks and AEW to just tease something and then kind of swerve us and go a different direction with it. That could happen. I don't know. But right now it looks like there's all this dissension in the group and they could split. Well, if they do split, Britt Baker is going with Adam Cole, obviously, unless something truly unexpected happens, which it could. But I like this idea of you've got people from the women's division in factions with people from other divisions. And I think it just makes so much sense. But up until Baker joining the elite, we'd really only seen Chris Statlander with the best friends in terms of, 
you know, women who are aligned with people from the men's division or the tag team division or in these factions. But it could be done throughout the company. And I think a lot of people have said that legit Layla Hirsch would make a lot of sense in Team Taz. Because, you know, basically to fit in with Team Taz, you need to do a lot of suplexes and have a lot of submissions. And she's she's perfect for that. And another one that I was thinking that I think would work really well is Serena Deeb in the Pinnacle. Because Deeb is a very old school style. Well, not like a very old school style, but she's got some old school elements to her wrestling game, which fit in with FTR, who are very old school. Of course, they're uh, managed by Tully Blanchard, who is old school. And Maxwell Jacob Friedman has a lot of very old school... has has a lot of old school influence in him, be it Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, that kind of thing. So I feel like Serena Deeb would really work well in that faction. So I wonder if we're going to see more of this now. So we, we see some of the, the factions that we see in the other divisions now coming into play in the women's division. So that's very interesting as well. Then this segment, it closes off with Adam Cole's in the middle of the ring. And he's doing that spot where where usually the young bucks come up on either side and, and give him a kiss on the cheek. Uh, but this time it was Britt, pa- Britt Baker doing the Adam Cole smooching. So a lot of developments in this storyline this week, and it should be interesting to see where it goes. All right, so next up we had a match between CM Punk and Wardlow. So this was interesting. <laughs> So CM Punk and Wardlow are having a match. And at first, the match kind of starts and it looks like Wardlow's just too big and powerful for for little CM Punk. And then, of course, as so often happens, CM Punk mounted a comeback. He got some moves in there and all of a sudden CM Punk's looking competitive. But then Wardlow took over again and Wardlow started landing power bombs. And then Wardlow landed even more power bombs. And even more power bombs followed those power bombs as well. Lots of power bombs. A symphony of power bombs, if you will. And so Wardlow goes to pin Punk. He just puts the arrogant one finger one foot on top of Punk's chest. And it looks like it looks totally like Wardlow is about to pin CM Punk to become the first person to pin CM Punk in AEW. But Maxwell Jacob Friedman gets up on the ring apron and is like, no, 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 more. I want more damage on CM Punk. So Wardlow, of course, in storyline, Wardlow is employed by MJF. He's not employed by AEW. So he's got to do whatever MJF tells him to do. I guess, or get fired. I don't know. I haven't read the contract. So Wardlow continues to powerbomb Punk over and over again. And it's just looking, it starts to really look like Wardlow is just light years better than CM Punk. And that if Maxwell Jacob Friedman wasn't there to stop him from pinning him, that Wardlow would just beat Punk. And that would be that. And then finally MJF's like, no, 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 go and powerbomb him through this table out here. And so... Warlow powerbombs him through the table, and then Punk barely makes it back in the ring for the 10 count. And this keeps going until finally, Punk reverses a powerbomb into a small package, gets the pin. So it's it's this thing where Punk won the match, but 
boy, did he come out looking like the the weaker wrestler. Like, obviously, they wanted Punk to beat Wardlow, but they didn't want Wardlow to look bad in the process. But I almost wonder if they overdid it a little bit and made Punk look pretty bad, even though he got the win, and Wardlow looked like, like he was just light years better than Punk. Like, just way better of a storyline wrestler. Like, a better wrestler in storyline than CM Punk. Um... And by the end of it, you're kind of like, you're kind of less interested in CM Punk versus MJF than you are in seeing MJF versus Wardlow. So it was interesting the way they did this. But then I thought, okay, well, this is sort of typical for how things have been going with CM Punk in AEW because he's been winning all of his matches, but never in dominant fashion. And that was kind of the thing that, that, his previous rivals have said, have said, yeah, okay, you're winning. You're undefeated. You know, you've never been pinned. You've never been submitted. You're undefeated. But you're taking so long to beat these guys. Or guys like QT Marshall are taking you to the brink a little bit. So are you really all that good? That seems to be the storyline with Punk. It's like, he's come back. He's in his 40s now. He didn't wrestle for seven years. He's uh, looking a little grizzled. He was never all that that big to begin with, so facing a big guy like Wardlow seems like it'd be pretty tough for him. But somehow, he's always managing to pull out the victory. And I have to wonder if, like, Punk's never been in the top five rankings. And I wonder if he will be next week now, because Wardlow was ranked, I think, number four going into this match. And so if CM Punk beat Wardlow, then Punk should be ranked ahead of Wardlow. But it sort of depends, because look, everybody can debate how they do the rankings. And it seems like everybody does. But there's just different ways you can do rankings. College football has a way of doing rankings. The UFC has a way of doing rankings. And those are different. In the UFC, if you beat somebody you are ranked higher than them the next time the rankings come out. Like, basically always. Uh, however, in college football, if you're the number 25 ranked team and you beat the number two ranked team, you don't move all the way up to number two. You move up a lot, but that number two team is probably still ranked ahead of you. So it's just different. You can have different ways of doing things. And over the last three years, uh, we're sort of, still getting a handle on how, I'm assuming it's Tony Khan, how Tony Khan does his rankings. But generally, when this happens, when an unranked guy beats a guy in the top five, the top five guy who lost is out of the rankings, and the person, the unranked guy who won, is in the rankings. So we'll have to see if that's what happens here. Now remember, earlier in this feud, both MJF and Punk have said that they want to go for the world title. So that means being ranked. And so if Punk's in the rankings, if Punk's going to face MJF at some point, I mean, all of this is playing into a Punk versus uh, MJF match. But I wonder how that Punk versus MJF match is going to affect who later gets a title shot against Hangman Page. And we'll just have to see. Later in the show, MJF comes out 
and says he was upset, or I don't know if he said he was upset, but he was clearly upset. Um, and then teases like he's going to announce that it's going to be MJF versus CM Punk next week, but then at the very end of it reveals that actually CM Punk is going to take on Sean Spears, so we'll see that match next week. Wardlow never did turn on MJF here, but it's got to be coming soon. I thought we would get it here. But we'll see. I don't know. I don't know if Wardlow turns on MJF before or after his match with CM Punk or during. That that could happen as well. But that storyline is certainly developing alongside the MJF and CM Punk feud. <laughs> All right, next up, we had a match between Dante Martin and Powerhouse Hobbs. Of course, this is continuing the feud between Dante Martin and uh, Team Taz. So I noticed this on Dark, too. Taz, whenever he's on commentary and Dante Martin comes out, he starts talking about, oh, we're still trying to get to the bottom of that, uh, that contract situation, how Martin was legally able to not be in Team Taz anymore. Uh, despite the fact that he signed this contract. And I love that Taz just points out, I don't have a very good legal team. Says, ah, my lawyers, they're not very good. Well, then why are they your lawyers? I assume that they are not inexpensive. Uh, so if you're going to spend the money, get lawyers you can be confident in. Where's smart Mark Sterling? Why can't he be hired by Taz? Anyway. So they played up on commentary. This match was between the number two and number three ranked wrestlers. So, again, whenever somebody's in the top five, it sort of plays into who's going to be the next title challenger, right? So I think Dante Martin winning this match means, hey, I mean, he's going to be, he's got to be at least the number two challenger. Well, no, he's going to be the number two challenger, I'm sure, when the next rankings come out, because Adam Cole is, is still at number one. There's no reason for him to be knocked down uh, based on how Tony Khan does the rankings. So anyway. This was a fairly important match. If you've got the number two and number three ranked guys in the UFC fighting each other, a title shot is not far off. So this match is going on, and Ricky Starks tries to interfere on the outside, and Jay Lethal comes out and stops him, which I thought was great because I was worried Jay Lethal was going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Because, you know, Jay Lethal comes in, and when the whole thing with Ring of Honor happened, when Ring of Honor said, Hey, we're not locking guys down with exclusive contracts anymore. Um, and Khan was like, well, I'll take Jay Lethal. Right off the bat, I'll take Jay Lethal. Because Lethal is, one, when he's given the opportunity, he's really funny. Um, can cut a great serious promo, too. And he doesn't have bad wrestling matches. Like, have you ever seen a bad Jay Lethal wrestling match? I don't know that one has occurred at any point. But it seemed like he came in, then he did that match with Sammy Guevara, and then he was just kind of on dark a little bit, which is understandable because they didn't expect to sign Jay Lethal. So you sign him, and it's like, well, where do we plug him into the storylines? You know, uh, so it looks like he's going to get plugged into this storyline. He's going to be an ally of uh, Dante Martin in his feud against Team Taz. So while this distraction is going on outside the ring, uh, Lethal and... Ricky Starks going at it. Uh, Dante Martin then hits his his moonsault. I can't remember what they call the moonsault, but his double springboard moonsault hits it on Hobbs, picks up the pin. Dante Martin 
wins the battle between the number two and number three ranked wrestlers. So that seems like a very big deal. Like Dante Martin is going to be really highly ranked now, and he will be until he loses. Maybe that could happen in a match against Ricky Starks. Maybe it could happen if he teams with Jay Lethal against Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. Maybe he loses to Hook. And I did notice that Hook isn't out there with the other members of Team Taz anymore. Hook's his own thing. Hook, he's in Team Taz. But I think they know that everybody cheers for Hook, but the rest of Team Taz is heels. So don't put Hook out. Don't send Hook with the other heels. Have him be his own thing. So after this, we got a little segment in the back with the Inner Circle. The Inner Circle was talking about having won the uh, PWI Faction of the Year Award, which makes sense because... Earlier in the year, they had that big feud with the Pinnacle, and they came out the winner of that, and there was the Blood and Guts match, and the Stadium Stampede match, and all these different matches that that faction warfare angle had. So Inner Circle wins that, but there's been this kind of turmoil a little bit in the Inner Circle as it concerns Eddie Kingston and Santana and Ortiz. Because Eddie Kingston and Santana and Ortiz... They've let us know that those guys are friends. Those guys have history together. But Eddie Kingston doesn't seem like he trusts Chris Jericho too much. And he mentioned in this backstage uh, promo that the reason why Santana and Ortiz aren't the AEW Tag Team Champions is because of Chris Jericho. So it feels like Kingston's trying to lure Santana and Ortiz away from, from the inner circle. And we'll just have to see where where that plot line goes. We'd get a little bit of it uh, more in the night's main event. All right, next up, we had Hangman Page coming out for a promo. Of course, he defended the title successfully against Brian Danielson uh, last week. And I knew Danielson wouldn't be on the show this week, and that kind of bummed me out because Brian Danielson is one of the best wrestlers in the world, one of my favorite wrestlers to watch. I'm sure he's one of your favorite wrestlers to watch, too. He's just that good. But, on the other hand, it's good that wrestlers who have just lost matches aren't on the show for a little bit, right? Like, you lose a match and then you're gone for a bit, you're out of the title hunt, you're not included in the show, that kind of thing. That's good because it just puts more consequences on the matches and so you want your favorite wrestlers to win or to not lose because sometimes if they lose especially in the blow off to a storyline then they're not on the show for a little while and that's bad for you because you like them i don't know so it's one of those things where it's like i'm glad brian danielson's not on the show because then there's consequences to him losing a bloody battle to hangman page But it's also bad because I like Brian Danielson and I want to see him on the show. Anyway, Hangman Page is out there and he talks a little bit about how we need a new, he needs a new challenger. And this brings out Dan Lambert. Some people love Dan Lambert. Some people hate Dan Lambert. I love Dan Lambert. I thought he cut an amazing promo here. Because he did everything he could to get over the fact that Hangman Page is really good. I mean, he basically said, Hangman Page, you're really good. But his problem with Page was that he calls himself a cowboy. And he talked about cowboy Bill Watts and all the great cowboys of the past. And just kind of pointed out that 
Hangman Page is this sort of millennial urban cowboy, even though Page grew up on a farm. This millennial urban cowboy that the AEW crowd can get behind because that's sort of Lambert's thing, is that he... He's sort of this older guy who who rips on the the younger generation of wrestling fans. And so it seemed like while this was going on it's like okay so Page is going to face like Scorpio Sky or Ethan Page next. Um Scorpio Sky seems to make sense cuz Sky's been in the top 5 rankings for the last like month or so, maybe a couple of months something like that. So Lambert's in the ring with Page, but then Lance Archer's music hits. No Jake the Snake Roberts, because he's, uh, well, he said he's got, he got COVID like a few weeks ago. I don't know if he still has it, but he's been, been kept off the shows because of, you know, he's, he's had some lung issues and, and so he's vulnerable. So it, it just makes sense to kind of keep him safe and keep him away from the shows. But Lance Archer comes out and of course, Lance Archer and Dan Lambert, uh, have history there, but Archer kind of seems like he's going to attack Dan Lambert. Lambert says, hey, you're in the ring with the world champion. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. And Archer, not sure if he did this because Lambert pointed this out to him or if it was his intention all along, but he then turns away from Lambert and beats up on Hangman Page, um, you know, making it very clear at this point that the, the Knicks match we're going to get for the world title is Hangman Page and Lance Archer. And one, I mean, okay, fine. That that will be a fine match. I'm fine with that. But the one issue I have is this idea of someone getting a title shot because they attacked the champion. We do all this stuff with the top five rankings with wins or losses mattering. But then what matters the most sometimes is just who's the guy who runs out and attacks the champion. That earns you a title match somehow. You've been incentivized to do this. And they'll play it up that Hangman Page wants the match, but the only way that Archer will agree to the match is if Page agrees to put his title on the line, which is exactly how it played out in the National Wrestling Alliance recently. If you've been following that uh, promotion... So Trevor Murdoch won a title match at this event they have. Trevor Murdoch's the champion now, if you're not following. Um, And then Mike Knox came out. Remember Mike Knox? Remember how it wasn't his fault? Well, Mike Knox is back. He's in the NWA. He attacks Trevor Murdoch. And then the storyline is, well, Murdoch wants to get revenge on Mike Knox, but the only way that Mike Knox would agree to a match with Trevor Murdoch is if the title is on the line. So... It's like one of these things where it's like, I don't know, like the wrestler commits something that should be like something you get suspended over or something you get fined for or something that in storyline the promotion doesn't want them to do, but then they get rewarded with a title match for it. But whatever. (laughs) I'm sure we'll get down to Hangman Page taking on the number one contender at some point, but in the meantime, it looks like He's going to be entering a feud with Lance Archer. And that whole thing with Dan Lambert, I guess, was a red herring. I don't know. Maybe we'll see Dan Lambert come out and and challenge Hangman Page again later. Maybe we will get Scorpio Sky versus Hangman Page. We'll just have to wait and see. 
up, we had the fourth match in the series between Hikaru Shida and Serena Deeb. And if you've been listening to these shows previously, you know that Serena Deeb is one of my favorite wrestlers. She might possibly be my favorite wrestler. Well, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe she is. So this was the fourth match in the series. Hikaru Shida had won the last two, but in the third match, Deeb was all upset because she had removed the turnbuckle. Shida kicked her into the exposed turnbuckle and then got the pin off that, or like shortly after that or something. Uh, so in Deeb's mind, this was a tainted victory from Hikaru Shida. So we get the fourth match. And I saw some people online, which is not something I recommend you doing is seeing people say things online. Um, but some people were saying like, oh, AEW never does rematches, but this match we're getting for a fourth time. It's like, well, yeah, because the first three matches were really good. And some of us wanted to see a fourth match and we got that, but it was a very different match. I mean, it, it almost wasn't a match in a sense. Like, I don't think Shida got any offense in at all. Basically, Hikaru Shida makes her entrance. And then you see Serena Deeb running like a freight train behind her, uh, gives her a chop block to the knee. And then it's just several minutes of Shida beaten up, or sorry, Deeb beaten up on Shida's knee, which is kind of what the entire storyline has been. That first match that they had, which might have been the best match. Well, I mean, you can't say best match. My favorite match, because um, it is subjective. So basically in that first match, Deeb, like every offensive maneuver that Deeb did, did was focused on, on Sheeta's knee. And then that continued throughout the entire storyline. And of course, when Deeb interfered during Sheeta's TBS title tournament match with Nyla Rose, she took out the knee again. So all she did was she attacked the knee. She put her in the serenity lock. I love the serenity lock. I love when like Deeb just takes Sheeta's knee and just like, pounds it into the mat like five times before she actually locks in the move. Sheeta never submits. Sheeta never submits, but the referee calls for the bell. It was a referee's stoppage. Serena Deeb is the winner. The, the series between the two is now tied at two. And I wonder if we're going to get a best two of three falls match next, right? So it's, it's like, all right, if this was a seven-game series... It's tied at two. All right, so it's basically a best of three left. Because we have to, like, we have to get another match after this. Like, you, you don't end a storyline like this. We've got to get at least match number five. I think probably more. Um, so anyway, and then, like, you know, security comes out and is like, hey, what are you doing? Deeb, don't do wrestling things that we see on wrestling all the time. Uh, and Deeb was just like, oh, I did exactly what I was going to say I was going to do. Um, oh, yeah. And she had attacked her after the match with the kendo stick and stuff like that. I don't know. I think everything Serena Deeb does is awesome. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Um, and and it could go to a best. Like, this two out of three falls match seems to make sense to me. Um, it, it would make sense to put these guys on pay-per-view next. Uh, like give them a, like if you, like when you really get to the blow off of this angle, put it on pay-per-view, put it on the revolution, at, re, ah, revolution pay-per-view in February, 
that's where the blow off to this feud should be. Maybe it's a best two out of three, or maybe they decide, you know what, we're going to just have a, a solid best of seven series, so three more matches left, and we'll put them all on Dynamite or Rampage. I don't know, but more Serena Deeb versus Hikaru Shida is perfectly fine with me. Right, so next up, we had Matt Hardy taking on Penta El Zero Miedo in Matt Hardy's home state of North Kakalaki. And, uh, okay, so Phoenix last week, we all saw his arm bend completely the wrong way. And it looked like, wow, Phoenix is going to be out of action for a long, long time because his arm bent the wrong way. And it looked so horrible. But the reports are that, like, he's only going to, it was just dislocated and he's going to miss a few weeks. That's crazy. That's crazy that after that injury, he's going to be back after a few weeks. But that seems to be the plan. And hey, there's a new tag team in AEW that I think the Lucha Bros are going to be uh, feuding with. So Matt Hardy was getting a big baby face reaction here. He did a lot of delete chants. I don't know if the broken universe is coming back, but it sounds like Matt Hardy's not super into doing the supernatural stuff in AEW, but uh, you know, he was playing up the crowd a little bit here in this match, uh, considering they were in North Carolina and he's always very popular there. But he loses this match to Pentagon, who got the win with the pile driver, but then the real storyline developments took place after the match ended. Pentagon cuts a promo on Malachi Black, who uh, sprayed the mist into Pac's eyes, who didn't injure Phoenix, but you know, he's been involved in the plot line with them now for some time. Oh, and later in the show, later in the show, we would hear from Pac. And Pac just sent in a vignette where his eyes is, I, his eyes are all bandaged up because he got sprayed in the face with Malachi Black's mist. His eyes is, are all bandaged up. He can't see. And, but he, but he cuts this promo about, oh, now I see clearer than ever. And basically the gist of this vignette is that Pac is brooding and coming for revenge on Malachi Black. Lots of people are coming for revenge on Malachi Black. He's made some enemies in his time in AEW. So Penta is talking about Malachi Black. Alex Abrahantes is letting us know what Penta said. When the lights go out, when they come back on, there's Malachi Black. But out to make the save are the Varsity Blondes, who of course have been involved in a rivalry with Malachi Black as well. Julia Hart, who got sprayed with the mist, is wearing an eye patch, which kind of looks kind of badass on her. I like that. Anyway, so you got Griff Garrison, Brian Pillman Jr., Pentagon. They're all circling Malachi Black. The lights go out again when they come back on. Who's in the ring? But the newest member of the House of Black, Brody King. And Brody King and Malachi Black are tag team champions together in PWG. Now, I don't know if Malachi Black and Brody King are going to be like a team in AEW or if Brody King's just like this disciple of Malachi Black's and there'll be more disciples added as we go on. But right now, it, it appears like Malachi Black and Brody King are, are going to team up in some tag team matches, maybe against the Lucha Bros, maybe against the Varsity Blondes. They did some, they did some tag team moves there where Malachi Black kind of picked up uh, one of the Varsity Blondes, I think, and kind of just chucked him over to, to Brody King to slam him. Uh, so that was pretty cool 
lots of fun stuff going on with the Malachi Black storyline. Like Malachi Black has got to be the one of the most interesting characters in AEW. He has like Undertaker dark vibes to him, and he does some supernatural stuff. Like Matt Hardy got all this, you know, negative backlash as opposed to positive backlash. He got negative backlash when he did that teleporting thing like early on after debuting. Malachi Black teleports all the time and it seems fine, but it does give this like, you know, cool over the top character. Like it, like, you know, like Undertaker vibes where like the rest of the card was sort of wrestling, but then you've got the Undertaker who's a dead man and, and rising from the dead and, and all those things that he would do. Um, like it's okay to have one or two supernatural characters and have them in their own storylines. And that's sort of what Malachi Black feels like right now. But it looks like we've got a couple of tag team matches now set up with Malachi Black and Brody King going up against, say, the Lucha Bros, whenever Phoenix's arm heals or whenever Pax Isis's heal. Uh, and also the House of Black against the Varsity Blondes. So lots of cool things coming up uh, in terms of like Malachi Black storylines. <laughs> Except we had the Acclaimed versus Bear Country, and the Acclaimed came into this match the number one ranked tag team. So I'm thinking that it makes sense that the Acclaimed, who are clearly heels, and Jurassic Express, who are clearly baby faces, that we'd get a title match between those two at some point. Not that AEW won't give us like babyface versus babyface or heel versus heel title matches, but all the same, it seems like we'd get an Acclaimed versus uh, Jurassic Express title match at some point, but now I'm not so sure based on kind of what happened here. So Max Caster does that thing where he raps and he mentioned Darby and, and Darby Allen and Sting. But Darby Allen and Sting are also kind of involved in a little thing with Andrade El Idolo right now. And it's a really weird plot line going on with Andrade El Idolo and Darby Allen and Sting. And so this has just come up in backstage promos. They've mentioned it on Dark. There's been some stuff on social media as well. But Andrade El Idolo basically asked, like, can I buy Darby Allen? Like, he asked how much Darby Allen costs, and it was kind of revealed that, that Andrade wants Darby Allen to be, like, his second assistant. Like, Jose is his first assistant, and I guess he feels that this is the role Darby Allen plays for Sting. And people have tried to say, like, no, Dar Darby Allen, you know, he's not like a like a little kid who's Sting's assistant, like they're friends and, and Darby Allen's like a top wrestler, a former TNT champion, but Andrade, I guess, wants to make an offer for Darby Allen. Sort of a, anyway, they talked about this on Dark Elevation on the commentary. I, I Andrade wants Darby Allen as his assistant. That's a storyline that's going on in AEW. And later we would see Andrade El Idolo in the back with Matt Hardy, basically saying, hey, like, I think we have some business to discuss. I'm a businessman. Big Money Matt's a businessman. So we'll see where that goes. There wasn't much talk about this whole Andrade wanting Darby Allen as his assistant plotline. I don't know. That could just be something they drop. It's a weird one. Anyway, so the Acclaim come out. They beat Bear Country. But then after the match, Sting and Darby Allen come out. Sting hits the Scorpion Death Drop to end the segment. Uh, he also took out Bowens with the baseball bat. Darby Allen did a suicide uh, dive with the skateboard. 
And later it's revealed that we're going to see Darby Allen and Sting, who have never lost as a tag team, going up against the acclaimed. So I kind of have to wonder if the winner of that match is in line for a title shot. Because the acclaimed are the number one ranked tag team. So if Sting and Darby Allen beat the acclaimed, doesn't that make them the number one ranked tag team? Plus they're undefeated. So then do we get a match between Sting and Darby Allen versus the Jurassic Express? Now, of course, if the acclaimed beat Sting and Darby Allen, they would get a title shot. But can we really see the acclaimed beating Sting and Darby Allen? Is that actually going to happen? I hope not. I mean, it could happen if Andrade is able to successfully purchase Darby Allen. Who knows where this storyline goes? But that's what happened here in the second to last match on the show. The acclaimed uh, beat Bear Country but then are attacked by Sting and Darby Allen. Finally, we get to our main event for the evening. Daniel Garcia challenging Sammy Guevara for the interim TNT championship. Of course, we saw Sammy Guevara win that belt in a great match with Dustin Rhodes at Battle for the Belts on Saturday. Cody Rhodes is isolating after exposure to COVID-19. I don't think he actually caught it, but he's... He was exposed to it, so uh, he's isolating, so he's not around to defend his his TNT title against the interim TNT title. So we get Sammy Guevara defending against Daniel Garcia here. But a lot of the storyline revolved around the budding rivalry between Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho. So Chris Jericho was at ringside to support Sammy Guevara. Of course, they're both inner circle faction members. Uh, and then Eddie Kingston just came to the ring. Earlier in the night, Eddie Kingston had said that his knee is all messed up because of what Daniel Garcia did to him in that match they had recently. And so he's still got a bone to pick with Garcia. So Kingston, who's not aligned with the inner circle and has maybe sort of ticked the inner circle off uh, quite a bit there. So he's not out there to support Sammy Guevara. He's there to not support Daniel Garcia. And so 2.0 come out, they attack Jericho. There's Uh, Some distraction on the outside. Meanwhile, in the ring, Sammy Guevara hits the GTH. He pins Daniel Garcia. He retains his title. But then we get Eddie Kingston, Chris Jericho in the middle of the ring, and they're arguing with each other back and forth. And so this is, you know, the Knicks' big storyline that they are moving into is Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho will likely get a match between those two at some point, maybe on the Revolution pay-per-view, maybe sooner than that. We'll just have to wait and see. And that's how we went off the air this week on AEW Dynamite. They did announce a bunch of matches coming up. So for Rampage, we won't give out any spoilers, of course. Uh, But the Rampage lineup for the show that will air on Friday night will have the continuation of the Elite versus Best Friends feud as Adam Cole takes on Trent Beretta. We will have Chris Statlander, Red Velvet, and Layla Hirsch teaming up to go up against Nyla Rose, Penelope Ford, and The Bunny. Now, Layla Hirsch and Chris Statlander and Red Velvet, actually, like, Layla Hirsch has been having disagreements. She had a disagreement with Red Velvet when they teamed up on Dark Elevation last week. We saw her and Chris Statlander have a match where... Hirsch didn't want to shake Statlander's hand after the match. So there's something going on with Layla Hirsch. And it's it's been played up 
in matches where she was either teaming with Red Velvet or facing Chris Statlander. So we'll just see what what all goes on there. Oh yeah, and then there was a backstage promo this week where Layla Hirsch was like to said to Chris Statlander, "Why are you focusing on this mixed tag match you have coming up next week on Dynamite when you're teaming with us on Rampage?" So there's all this dissension now between Layla Hirsch, Statlander and Velvet. So we'll probably see that play out in trios action when they take on Nyla Rose Penelope for the Bunny. Sean Spears is going to be taking on Andrew Everett. Andrew Everett is from the Carolina regions. I think he's sort of aligned with uh, them there, Hardy Boys and Cameron Grimes and, and, you know, the wrestlers that come out of that area. Uh, Sean Spears, of course, will take on CM Punk on next week's Dynamite. And then for the Tag Team Championships, Jurassic Express defends against the Dark Orders, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. I imagine that will be the main event of Rampage. Then announced for AEW Dynamite next week, we will have the the match Adam Cole teaming with Dr. Britt Baker going up against Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. As previously mentioned, CM Punk will take on Sean Spears as he continues his rivalry with MJF and the Pinnacle. Serena Deeb is back in action. No repercussions for her vicious assault on Hikaru Shida this week. She'll take on Sky Blue in singles action next week, and I will like that. Because as mentioned frequently on this show, I really enjoy Serena Deeb. TNT champion Cody Rhodes will return on next week's Dynamite. And we will also have Sting and Darby Allin versus the Acclaimed in a match that could determine who moves on to challenge Jurassic Express. Maybe not. But regardless, the number one ranked Acclaimed will go up against the undefeated Sting and Darby Allin. That'll do us again for this week's show, this week's review of AEW Dynamite. Please, if you haven't already, hit the like and subscribe button. Thanks again, everyone. I'm Gentleman Ian for Spoiler Free Wrestling.